I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event. Big virtual climb sponsored by AbbVie to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take your climb with our heart pumping playlist. Join us on June 13 from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. All right, James, we are doing this podcast first week of June. It's a tough week for the world. Um, lots going on. We weren't really sure how we should uh, handle the podcast this week. Do we talk Leafs? Do we talk hockey? Do we talk return to play? It didn't feel like we could ignore what's going on, obviously, in the United States, but in like broader society with um, a light really being shined on racism maybe more than at any point i can remember in my life um how do you kind of want to proceed like how are you feeling about everything that's going on i guess i can start and just tell you it's it's just making me think a lot more uh than i ever have i don't know how it's kind of uh made you feel well i think there's a couple of things we should say right off the top number one justice for george floyd you know, and I saw that video last week and it, it was, I remember I couldn't sleep that after I saw it that night. Like, it's just, it's gut wrenching. It's, it's, it's awful. It's completely awful. And, um, it's become a catalyst for, for all these things. And hopefully in some ways it's a catalyst for good. And, you know, and number two, you know, black lives matter. I mean, that, that's been something that's been talked about for years and obviously it's crossed over into the sports world with with Colin Kaepernick and and some of the you know even you know JT Brown um a little bit 
of discussion around the hockey world, but not as much as in other sports, you know, and not as much in Canada. And, you know, these are the kinds of, you know, I think these conversations are really, the cause of them is not obviously terrible, but it's good for us to be, for everyone to be having more awareness around this. And um, it's been, it's been interesting seeing the hockey world have a racism conversation, you know, uh, with so many players coming out and talking about this. Like this is, this has never happened. And, you know, starting on the weekend, uh, I was working with one of our writers, Ryan Clark on, um, how we were going to cover this as a company and on the NHL side. And, and I mean, Ryan's such a, I mean, he's super passionate about these issues and he's super, um, he's a great journalist and the stories that he's done the last couple of days have been fantastic. And, you know, if people haven't seen them, you know, he talked with Tyler Sagan, he talked with Morgan Riley, he talked with Brian Boyle, another former Leaf, and Connor Carrick, another former Leaf, um, just about why now and why white NHL players are getting involved now. And it's a really powerful story. And Ryan also talked to, to Evander Kane about why he, you know, called out Sidney Crosby, called out, you know, some of the biggest name white athletes in, in sport. And, um, you know, good for, good for Evander Kane, good for Evander Kane for saying, we have this platform, we need to use it. And, um, you know, it's almost like finally the conversation has been ignited. You know, there was a Keem Aliu and it, it, it's been kind of bubbling under the surface in hockey, but this has really made it a lot more prevalent. Well, and, and I guess that the hard part is, is why, why it took this long. And, and, you know, I'm asking myself that question, like what I could do better and could have done better. And we're in a different position, obviously from those athletes. Um, but like even going back to watching the Michael Jordan documentary, like one of the things that, that he was criticized for was not speaking up, um, for social issues and, and social justice. And, and obviously he's come out and, and, and spoken after this and, and lots of athletes, lots of hockey players have, but like it, it, it's made me start to think about like the past of just covering hockey and I don't know, just little things that I thought at the time, but never really said anything about, like, I always thought it was, I don't know, like uh, maybe a bit racist, that, you know, P.K. Subban would get criticized for the way he celebrated and the way he he maybe acted differently than some of his teammates. Like, it always felt like little little things like that. And obviously, the Akeem Alou stuff comes up during the year. That's, like, very outright. Um, but I think what's, what's really good about what's happening now is it's just causing everyone to kind of start to reexamine things and what can you do more and what, what should have been done and what can be done. And, you know, uh, Kane in an article, um, that Ryan wrote, um, reference, like what organizations should do and like statements. And, and it's just been really interesting to see, um, society as a whole kind of look inward. Um, and it's a shame obviously that it, that it takes something like this, something as tragic as this, because like this kind of thing has been happening for a really long time. Obviously like George Floyd is not new. This, there are so many examples of things like that. And you just know in our position, James, like we've never experienced that. Like we never have to go outside and have that fear. And so when you can kind of start to empathize, I think with people in situations like that, I think that's, 
healthy for society. I think empathy is like the thing we need most right now to try to understand that people in positions that are different from ours have a harder time. Like with just like just trying to understand that viewpoint. I was thinking about this. You and I spend a lot of time in the United States and I don't want This is not just the United States problem. This is a problem, but I was just thinking, you know, in, in no scenario would something like that happen to you or I No, in no scenario. And that's, that's what they, you know, that's the privilege. That's, that's white privilege that, that, that would never happen to us. And you know, it's hard to envision a scenario. And I mean, I was saying this to you the other day. I mean, you probably spend two months of the year in the United States and I'm, I'm probably, you know, just a little bit under that. And, um, you know, and, and there's been all kinds of knock on conversations, you know, the, the obviously, the, you know, there's been the protests, but then you look at the police and the government response to the protests and some of the, you know, seeing some of the horrifying things that the police are doing to people. And, you know, it's, you know, you feel thankful that there's these cell phone cameras capturing all of this so that the truth comes out. And it makes me think, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago when those videos weren't available, these things were probably still happening and, and no one knew about it. And, and, and all you had was the word of, of the authority figure against the people on the ground. And I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to change, but yeah. I mean, we some of the questions we've asked for questions today and some of the questions are about the police and there, there very obviously needs to be some changes in how the police operate. And I was reading a story yesterday about how uh, in the United States, in some municipalities they they've worked with the police to on de-escalating situations and, and a different kind of uh, approach to these situations and there's just there's got to be a different way of thinking about this as opposed to shooting and beating and like it's just uh, it's unbelievable it's 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 really really sad um but the things you're talking about it about it shaking a lot of people out of their comfort zone and the hockey world out of its comfort zone. I think that those are very necessary and very, very powerful changes that are happening right now. And I hope that it's not just goes for a week and a bunch of players post a social media statement and that's it. Hopefully this is more of a, a permanent change. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like when you're, I don't know, when I was younger and like reading about like the Holocaust and, and the civil rights movement in the States and you're thinking like, this is not that long ago. And then it kind of comes to your front door in waves, like over recent years. And you realize like it's, it's in our society and it's like something that you kind of grapple with that that's still there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just causing me to think like, I think culture is really helpful for, helping me try to understand different viewpoints. Like a few weeks before this, this even started, um, I, I remember reading something about the outbreak and how it's like disproportionately affecting the black community in the States and how some of that they believe is like tied to stuff that's like decades back. And it's, I don't know. I, I think this will ultimately be a good thing for society but obviously the way that they're reacting to it in the states the government i mean it's just 
jarring. It's it's crazy to believe like th- that this is happening now. That there are still viewpoints like this. That you would still have a president like talking about using the military against peaceful protesters. It's just like it's very scary amid like a pandemic. Like I don't know. I'm kind of yeah, rambling because like, I don't have a specific thought, but it's just there's like yeah. layers that are going on right now, and it's you know who's in charge in the government. Then you have the pandemic, and then you have you know, the death of George Floyd and and the protesting and the, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard not sometimes I think as a, you're, you're a sports writer, you know, what, you know, what is your place in, it's kind of like what we do all the time. It's so frivolous and, and meaningless, but there's also the, the incredible, there's the, the power of, of, of sports, you know, there's the, the impact that, you know, look at PK Subban coming out yesterday and making a donation of $50,000 to George Floyd's daughter. And then the, and then he calls Gary Bettman at the NHL and they match that. And then PK Subban puts it out on his platform and then more people donate. And the last I looked, it was well over a million dollars. And, you know, there are, there are the, the platforms that the athletes have are huge. And if you start getting Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin and Steven Stamkos and Logan Couture and Anze Kopitar and like Patrice Bergeron, a lot of players have spoken out in the NHL in a way they had never have before. There's at least there's some value in that, and and I think that you know in the white players that Ryan Clark talked to for his story, they said that you know as what you're saying, they, they, they need to open their eyes a little bit more. They need to get better educated about these issues and they need to become more involved. And like I said, I, I hope, I hope that's the case. You know, I hope that, I hope that hockey does kind of take this a bit more seriously. Well, and I, and I guess the w- one way you can take it more seriously is um, understanding it that even if it doesn't directly in, involve you, like I'm thinking of the Colin Kaepernick protest I can't say what I would do if I was a player playing in the NHL, but like you wonder why there was nobody um, in the NHL who, you know, who kneeled and kind of showed solidarity and kind of spoke out. Raised his fist during the anthem there at one point. Okay. So that's a good example. But why, why, why would no white player do that? You know, like maybe people need to kind of think outside themselves, I guess, in situations like this and think, what can I do to kind of, bring light to this and and get people understanding that it's not just that this affects everyone um, or is something that, that everyone should be thinking about um, that just because you're not going through it, that it's not something that you should be concerned with. And, and that's what it's like starting to make me think like, what can I do? Well, I'm trying to figure out, I don't know what I can do differently, what I can do better. Like I'm obviously all this stuff is terrible to see and, and anytime you read about it you're just you just shake your head and you think like this is awful but there's got to be more you can do besides just having that thought and that reaction yeah and i mean i've been trying to work with our writers you know arpin basu wrote a great story for us on evander kane and ryan clark's written his stories and but trying to just work do my job in a way that that you know that that's the that's the impact that i feel like I can have, and we can have, and, and we should say, you know, for this podcast, we've been trying to get uh, a former Leafs player who is black 
uh, on the show. Uh, we weren't able to pull it together in time for the recording today, but we're hopeful that at some point that's going to happen. Um, there have only been seven black players for the Leafs in the organization's history. There have not been very many, which was a surprising number uh, to me, even as someone who's you know covered the team for a long time. So we're working on that. Uh, if there are guests on these kind of topics, you'd love to have, love to hear us uh, have on. Let us know, and we'll uh, we'll try and track those folks down. Should we get into some of the questions that we got? Yeah, yeah. So we put the question out: What do what do people want to talk about? And uh, some of these questions will be on the topics of what's happening around the world. Um, you know, we've we've talked about we've addressed some of these already, but. Um, and then there's going to be some hockey topics as well. So uh, forgive us if we're jumping around a little bit, um, but it's going to be the nature kind of, of of taking your questions here and answering them. Is there one that stood out to you that you wanted to start with? Um, well, I just add to that. Like, I know there are probably some people listening and thinking like, I just want to like listen to this podcast about hockey and about the Leafs. And it we can't really avoid this topic like it would be nor do we want to i mean nor do we want to like it would be wrong to just kind of shove this in the back like this is something that we should all be talking about and if we can talk about it and get people to to kind of start re-examining how they see things and understanding other people's viewpoints and go from there i think that's positive so obviously we got a few questions about the defunding of the police not not ground obviously we thought we'd be covering on this podcast but do you have any thoughts on on that? Well, I mean, it goes back to what I said that the police need to change. Like, like their response to relatively peaceful protests in a lot of instances has been deplorable. I mean, it's people getting injured and uh, and obviously George Floyd, people dying. The the police they've they've got to get these extremists out of the police. You know, I know, you know, people that defend the police say it's one bad apple. It's like, well, why are there so many bad apples in the police as your job? And it's just like anything. It's if you have a, a group of bad people in your organization, it's going to reflect, reflect poorly on everybody. So that's that's bullshit to say it's, you know, if there's a couple bad apples or whatever. I mean, it's your job as an organization. And also, you know, in like watching some of this stuff, it doesn't really feel like it's like it feels like a culture problem in, in police forces and. It's, I mean, they need, they need more minorities in the police. They need, they need a completely different way of thinking about this. Being in a police department or a police officer, is not just about brute force. That's not how you enforce the law. So, but. I, I think that's, that's all well said. Um, it's funny. Like I was walking down King street the other day and I don't know what this vehicle was. It was like a Hummer and a tank or some sort of like something I've never like, seen. Like a SWAT a vehicle. Yeah. And I was just like, holy shit. Like what are, what's, and you see some of the stuff obviously in the States and you're thinking like, what is this for? Um, and obviously like I've thought a lot about guns. Uh, it's obviously a, a thing in our city, especially in, and in the States. And you wonder if like, if guns were in such a prominent part of society and a prominent part of policing, like would some of these things not happen? Obviously the George Floyd situation has nothing to do with guns. So it's just, I don't know. It's, it's when you, when you read about situations um, 
where people of color go into these um, interactions with police and are terrified for their lives. That's something like that we should think about. Like, what would you, how would you feel in that position? Like one, one of the, the, the stories in the States that always stuck with me that just like blew my mind is, is the killing. I don't know if you remember of Tamir Rice. Mm -hmm. He was a kid and he was killed in like a playground because someone called it in. I believe Um, he had like a fake gun and they shot him and he was a kid. And it's just, it's one after another, after another of, of situations like that. And you're just like, how does this happen? today with with how far we've come but obviously how far we still have to go do you want me to go to the next question yeah it's it's just brutal absolutely brutal um crystal nurse asked us about um to discuss racism in hockey uh, specifically akima lu's article and george floyd we kind of touched on that a little bit but um if people haven't read it read akim alu's article and and we had Dan Robson, one of our writers at the Athletic, spent a lot of time with Akeem Alou a couple of months ago and, and told his story. Uh, but he tells it in his own words in the, in the Players' Tribune as well. So it's and it, did you, I don't know if you saw it. Um, Logan Couture uh, sent out a tweet to Akeem Alou yesterday saying, "Thank you for fighting back against the hazing when you did, because it prevented a lot of us from having to go through that." That and I, I it was a really powerful kind of conversation and um dan robson one of our one of our feature writers tweeted that that it's great that this conversation is happening now in hockey but kind of why didn't it happen when akim alu uh spoke out and then um logan couture responded and said you know thank you to alu so um it's 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 been good that that this is being cracked open in hockey it's it's good that finally the players feel like they have a voice and that they can speak. And it was so interesting when Akeem Alou spoke out about uh, what happened with uh, Bill Peters, um, his coach, and, and being called a racial slur. Is it kind of opened the door a little bit for more athletes to talk about things that had happened to them? And there was a there was kind of a mini reckoning for hockey talking about how coaching works and and how players are treated. And those kind of things. But I don't know that the the race part of it got discussed as much as it probably should have. Yeah. And, and I think um, situations like that and talking about situations like that, um, I think what I hope it does, because like that, that situation is not that long ago. But what you hope it does is next time there is a situation like that happening or or you or someone on that team sees it happening that it's stopped that whether it's management, whether it's coaching staff, whether it's teammates, that that's not allowed to happen. Um, And that's why I think it's really good to talk about this stuff because now a player in that situation who is, who is perpetrating that kind of hate, either he's going to be reprimanded right away or he's not going to do it because he's going to realize that that's awful and that's not the way we treat people. And that's not the way he would want to be treated. And, um, well, I, mean, I just think that's why it's good to talk about. Hopefully the players are comfortable coming out and speaking and then the, the coaches are fired. I mean, there's no place for this. This is, it's ridiculous that, that this is allowed to happen. And, and part of why it's happening, it's a, hockey's almost got this, like in pro sports to a lesser extent has this kind of 
military kind of don't say anything and, and keep everything in. I mean, I, this has come up a lot with me when I, I've interviewed, obviously, a lot of former NHL players and hockey players who um, have brain damage and are kind of living with the after effects of, of all the concussions that they suffered during their careers. And they say again and again and again, and even Jeff Finger, when I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, said, we, you just didn't talk about it. Like if you had a problem or if you had an injury, you just were, you, the, the culture is you just don't say anything. And more and more, we're seeing black and and players of uh, who are minorities say that, and even white players too. And Brian Boyle in Ryan Clark's story says that he looks back now and he wonders if his if his uh, teammates who were black didn't feel comfortable speaking out. And you can see why, because the entire culture of hockey is about not being different and not speaking out. And with things like this, it's it's toxic. It's toxic not to be able to to speak out. If something wrong is happening, you should be able to address it. You know, it's not anti-team. What's anti-team is someone, some coach being a racist idiot. Well, and we've seen like the Kaepernick situation in the NFL. Um, yes, he gets ostracized for. He's ostracized, like he's kept out of the league. Yeah, um, uh, he, he is obviously deserved to be in the league. He's, he should be. He is one of the best or has been one of the best 60 quarterbacks in the world and hasn't gotten a shot because he protested. And even like yesterday, you saw, we're recording this on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, you saw what Drew Brees, like he was interviewed about uh, players potentially kneeling again next season and how he would respond. And he talked about the flag and not disrespecting the flag. And like, still, like there is a misunderstanding of what that protest represented. And so- well, it's Andrew good Brees to keep... has had to come out and apologize today. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, I saw. Yeah. I did. Well, and and so some of the questions that we did we got um, was the Leafs obviously came out and put out a statement. Like, what kinds of things can they do moving forward? And and kind of one thought I that just came into my head was like they can do more to shine a light on um, this stuff. And obviously, they do the military night and they do a you can play night. Maybe they need to do more outreach of that kind. I don't know. I was reading about uh, Val James, um, who was the first black player to ever play for the Leafs in the 80s. And I was thinking that, you know, the Leafs should get him involved. You know, you look at what the what the right. league does. He lives in Ontario now. Um, you know, you look at what the league does with Willie O'Ree and the outreach and, you know, how, how much of a mentor he's become to some of the young black players in hockey. And, you know, I think that the Leafs have potential role models in some of these players as well. So, you know, I, th I think that, you know, there's obviously more that a lot, a lot of hockey teams can do. Um, and I know that Kyle Dubas is, is very passionate about diversity issues. And I saw he was speaking to Ron McLean on, on TV the other day about this. And, um, but you know, Austin Matthews, Morgan Riley, um, and, you know, they've got uh, Nick Robertson's coming. He's obviously not white. You know, he's going to be a young star for the team. Uh, they had Nazem Kadri as one of the faces of the franchise for a long time. Um, but for the most part, you know, the Leafs are a very white roster and a very white organization. And, and that's in a, in a very diverse city. Um, and that's something that, that they're going to have to continually work on improving and it almost feels like in a city, I don't know if you feel like this, Jonas, it almost feels like there's a divide where, you know, everyone always says this, but I don't know if they say it out necessarily out loud, but, you know, the Raptors fan base is so much different than the Leafs fan base. 
and mm-hmm. hopefully I don't know it's hopefully hockey can can make more people feel welcome being hockey fans well and, and part of that is making hockey more available to more people um yeah it's expensive to play hockey like it's almost borderline for a lot of people not affordable um so may I don't know like maybe that's that's part of what hockey can do is try to make it available to more people. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. That, that I don't know if that really addresses like the core thing we're talking about here, but um, there's a reason basketball has become, or one reason basketball has become so popular in Canada. Everyone can play. Like you just need a ball. Like you, you can go play anywhere. It's harder to play, and obviously you can play street hockey in the road. I don't know that how many people still do that, but to play hockey in a league, it's, it's a lot of money. The kids across the street from me in my house, because there's so much less traffic now, they've been playing on the road like every day. So I, I hate those. There's those signs all around Toronto, no ball hockey allowed. I wish we could tear them all down. <laughs> I used to love playing in the street. I thought it was oh, the most played, fun thing to do. I played every day for hours and hours. Often I was a goalie. I got some funny pictures of me as a goalie when I'm like 10 years old. Street what would you look like as a goalie? Like I'm trying to think of some really tall goalie. Oh, like Ken Dryden or something like that. Big, tall. Sean Burke. Sean Burke. Sean Burke was a guy I really liked when I was a kid. I had a, I had a Sean Burke Devils poster in my room when I was a kid. I used to, I used to really like goalies. And it's funny because my son's five years old. He loves goalies now. Um, Keep saying he wants to be a goalie. My son thinks that the <laughs> players are guys that can't that aren't as good, so they can't be goalies. Maybe he's right. (laughs) Probably not. Um, But I do think, like you mentioned, James, just to kind of put a bow on this part of the conversation, it's really positive that that Riley and Matthews and and players across the league are speaking out. And I guess like in our position, like when when, um, things pop up, incidents pop up, even on here, like we probably shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Because talking about it is is what gets society to move in a more progressive well, direction, I guess. Yeah, and we got a bunch of people on here saying, don't talk about this. Like that, We said, what do you want us to talk about? And it's like, I don't know. Those people need to open their eyes and their ears and everything. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but but I, I also understand that. Like when, when the stuff with the pennant... That's part of the problem, though, Jonas, is like people don't want to like they're trying to make this go away. Like this isn't going away. I don't think that's totally fair. I think what what you're saying is it's good that we talk about it. It's I agree with you. We shouldn't be told told by our audience that don't talk about it. No, but but I also understand um, like when the pandemic kind of first was in its early stages and we were all kind of jolted. For me, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I needed a break from it. Like I needed to get away yeah. from it and not hear about it. But I think this, this is different. This is like, and maybe it's, it's different in its own way, but I understand the, the impulse for people who turn to a podcast like ours during the pandemic and just want to hear hockey. Like they don't want to hear about the curve and all that stuff. And I get that. But in this case, we have to talk about it because the only way to kind of move us forward is to talk about it. So this is, this is, it's about human rights and it's about, there's a lot of real, I, you know, I don't know. I don't understand people that say don't talk about it. I the, the whole stick to sports thing right now, it seems like the stupidest thing on earth. 
Yeah. Well, and, and we've obviously wrestled with it like in our jobs, like we've tried to figure out like, what should we do with normal stories? Like I just put out a story today on Nick Robertson and we, we talked about it and, and we released it, but it was something we talked about. Like, is this the wrong time to even release stories? Um, but I think we can do both in, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it is our job, you know, and the company is, we are a sports company. And if you look across the athletic, I mean, there's so much amazing work being written about the virus and about racial issues and, you know, the work that, that some of our black colleagues have done in, in the U S has been unbelievable. So, you know, I encourage people, if, if you're only subscribing just for Leafs content, look at some of the other stuff that we have on the site, because it's been, you know, things that Marcus Thompson and Ryan Clark and Eric Stevens. And there's a, there's a, been a lot of fantastic stories. All right. Let's look to some leaf questions for a bit here. Pull up my phone. Look at Twitter. All right, James. <laughs> you could have uh, just thrown to me. I got questions in front of me. Okay. Well, <laughs> we've got a question here about center depth uh, for next season. I think it's a good question. Um, I think that we, we, we don't know what the center depth is going to look like because we don't know what, obviously we don't know when exactly. Well, I guess we have an idea of when the off season will be now, but we don't know how the Leafs are going to react to it. We know that they're probably going to have to move a body at least up front. Um, but if, if Alex Kerfoot is that, that guy, who's your third center, who's your fourth center, there is some uncertainty um, at center for the Leafs. Obviously what helps them is they have, maybe the best one-two punch uh, up top in the league. What do you think about their their center depth? Well, I mean, like my first instinct is to say that they should try and improve their center depth, but then you look at kind of the salary cap picture and how much how much money they're going to have to improve it. And it's, I mean, maybe you can move Kerfoot to wing and then you trade an Andres Janssen or a Kasperi Kapanen, and then it frees up a little bit of room and you're bringing, you have to bring someone else in as a center, but I just don't know if that's the top priority for them right now. So I don't know. I mean, they kind of ran into a situation where if they had one of the top two centers hurt, they didn't really have a lot of options. And I I think in the future, we've talked about this before on the podcast, that they almost need, they need players that can be a little bit more multidimensional. You know, they need wingers that can play center. They just, you look around the league and there's a lot of teams that have a lot of wingers that can play center. And they're, the Leafs have, have had the problem where they haven't had that. So it sounds like Jason Spets is going to come back. I don't, you think Frederick Goche is going to be resigned? Probably. He's just an RFA. Probably. You probably, probably give him a league minimum deal. And yeah. if he has to spend some time in the minors, then that's fine. Um, Engvall, they've kind of experimented with at center. Uh, but you know, he's not a natural center either. You know, they really could use another player to come in. And even if it's a winger who can play center, they just, they could use another option there. So I could see it be some being something that, that they try and address. Well, I'm just thinking about this now. And, and obviously I feel like I've been a proponent of the idea. Um, but maybe there just should be some more openness to, um, Nylander playing center. Like not, not that it's, he's going to be locked into one of your center spots, but that you're comfortable doing it. Like we see with a lot of the lightning forwards, maybe not a lot of them, but some of the lightning forwards that they're okay moving, say Tyler Johnson back and forth and like Steven Stamkos back and forth. And maybe there should be that same kind of flexibility with Neilander, who they drafted to be a center. I mean, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure at the time they said they drafted Marner to be a center too. Like maybe there just needs to be a little bit more openness to to moving those guys around. Yeah. I don't know if that's – that. Yeah. I've thought about Marner a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if, if – especially if there's an injury to one of your big two, center yeah. strength is so important that – I yeah, you're right. I think that they need to play Nylander or Marner there. And Nylander has said he's fine to play. Yep. You know, we had the stories this year about how he went to Sheldon Keefe and said, put me on the left wing. And I mean, he can play all three center positions. And, you know, is he stronger at wing than at center at the, at the NHL level? Probably. But is he your best option if if Tavares or Matthews misses games? He, probably. And it's an interesting idea about putting Marner there. You know, there are more small centers around the league. Mm-hmm. I feel like he could do it. I don't know. I don't know about faceoffs. That would be one potential weakness but he's crafty enough i'm sure he could figure that out yeah just you just want to create versatility and i know that is something that kyle dubas desires in um like his players he wants guys who can kind of move around it was something that they tried to look at off uh, last off season obviously kerfoot is a good example of that he's someone who can bounce back and forth jason spetz the same thing and then you just look like beyond big picture the tough thing is like you can't it's kind of dumb to draft for your current needs, obviously, like it would be dumb for them to go in this draft and say, we need centers now. So let's draft some centers. But organizationally, it is something that they need to strengthen over the long term, because like eventually Tavares is going to be in his thirties and you're going to need someone who can kind of come in and provide a lift. You know what I mean? Well, well, Jonas, I mean, you saw the taxi squad story that that we did with, with Josh cloak, right? I mean, Look at that example. Taxi squad, you can have uh, 28 skaters plus as many goalies as you want. So, you know, we were looking at the 28 skaters and who are they going to want on the taxi squad? And it's like, well, they're going to need another center. So Adam Brooks, even though he's been hurt and hasn't played a lot, Adam Brooks has to be one of the players on the taxi squad. Like, there's no question. I mean, who else is it going to be? You look at the Marlies and like, what? who else is, is right. going to be on, you know, so it, it they have so little depth not just at the Leafs level, but below that, that they, there's not really a lot of options if if they run into some injuries at center ice. And that's actually been the case in the organization a long time. People get upset when we talk about the Leafs center depth because they talk about how good the top two are. And it's, that's mm-hmm. a completely fair. And then it gets into the whole cadre conversation. And <laughs> But you, you want to have organizational depth at every position. And they don't at center. They really don't. No. All right, next question. And I think this this question we've we've kind of skated past a little bit too fast. Should they finish the season? And why I think this question is relevant is uh, Joe Smith, uh, our beat writer for the Lightning, talked to Anton Strawman, and and he kind of raised some concerns that that you've indicated are kind of more prevalent among players than we're seeing. And I think one of the questions that was brought to light that I think I saw, I'm trying to think who it was who pointed this out. Maybe it was Strawman, but like, we don't know the long-term effects of this disease. So like we can say like, if a player gets it, he's going to be fine and he's going to be treated, but we, we don't totally know what like that would do to his career or his life. And God forbid, like someone would die. You know what I mean? Like it feels like we've kind of gone past a lot of those questions about ethics and whether it's actually the right thing to come back and play. Yes, 
And in the, in the case with like players like Strawman who have underlying conditions, I mean, there's, you know, there's been talk about Max Domi and having diabetes in Montreal. And I think what's going to happen, Jonas, and I think this is going to happen in all the sports is that players are going to be able to opt out of being a part of this. And it, I mean, imagine you're a team, like imagine you're a contending team and you have multiple players opt out of playing. And I have a hard time believing there are going to be that many players that do this. But on a team like Montreal that probably doesn't have a lot of chance of winning the the play-in, let alone the playoffs, I don't know. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast last week. I mean, how many guys are going to want to come back from Europe, training camp for two weeks, exhibition games, go to a hub city, you're doing these quarantines all the way, you're getting tested all the way, you could be out in three games, mm-hmm. you could work for a month to play three games against Pittsburgh. And that's and that's it. And then you're off again for, you know, what's that? Another five months. Like it's, you can see why some players are saying, "I don't know about this." And the other thing that the other part of it too is that there's not the financial incentive for the players is not that high. They've already been paid their contracts. Like they're not going to be getting paid through this. And the amount of money. The NHL is mostly trying to save their TV deal here. So the amount of money at stake is it's not there's not billions and billions of dollars here that the players are trying to save. So I guess I can though there, see, James, there's like some big picture Yes. Good for the game yes. concerns. And that's what the way that the league is trying to that's the way that the league is trying to pitch it kind of to the players is that for the good of the game. We need to have a Stanley Cup final. We need to fulfill our television agreement. We need to fulfill our sponsorship agreements. There's going to be huge economic financial fallout for hockey and for all pro sports, but especially for hockey, which is such a great gate-driven league. There's going to be huge fallout for years to come. Here's one way we can mitigate that and engage our fan base and get the TV networks excited about our product and potentially... You know, I think one of the way things the NHL is looking at is if we come back and we play in July and August and September and the ratings are really, really good, maybe there's a way that we can somehow salvage a, a, a U.S. TV rights deal, which is up after next year. Somehow we can salvage a better better contract because there's a lot of people in hockey right now that I talk to that are pointing to that U.S. TV deal and they're they're saying we need that to be a good deal because that's going to be part of what offsets all of the losses. And it's you look at the the last TV deal they had, which was $20 million a year for 10 years, wow. it's not a lot of money in the context of what TV deals look like in the in, in the other major sports. Seriously, wow. I didn't know it was that low. It's really bad. That's brutal. Two, Do you think they'll go back million a year. to- $200 million a year is what the, what the NHL gets from NBC. The Canadian think- deal is bigger. The Canadian yeah, deal is quite obviously. a bit bigger, like the Rogers deal, but it's not that much bigger. It's like Do you double. think they should split between like NBC and ESPN in the States? Like try to get ESPN yes. involved? I think they should get as many people involved as possible. Now, I think networks probably pay less if there's multiple, if, if it's not exclusive. But you look at like, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you look at like the NFL is like split over multiple networks. And like I just, I feel network. like that, I feel like that would be good for the audience. I feel like it'd be good for the league. I feel like it would put hockey in more places as opposed to just kind of, you know, restricting it to just one network, one location. It was so dumb to like split it, 
just give everything to Rogers. Like, why not have two the two biggest media companies in the country both having your product? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but anyway, maybe there's maybe there's some of these streaming platforms that you could give a piece to, and yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that there was any need to. But but media companies pay a lot for the to have exclusive rights to something like that. So. Yeah, I have a hard time believing. I have to read David Schultz's book on it, but I have a hard time believing that they couldn't have gotten close to that big $5 billion number just by splitting it between the two. But I don't know that. That's just my thoughts. Um, next question. You did a story today for The Athletic on potential changes to the NHL schedule after this. Do you think it's good for the league to to maybe go deeper into the summer and start later? Well, I mean, I don't like it. I mean... <laughs> For I don't. I don't think it's purposes. <laughs> no, but I don't think it's good for the league in Canada. I don't think it's good for Leafs fans. I mean, do you think it's better for Leafs fans to have the season start in, I don't know, November, and go go deep into the summer? Not really. Is it good for the league? Is it, is the question I tried to address in 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 the story? I mean the. It's good for the league in the sense that if you look at a lot of the U.S. markets and the struggling U.S. markets, they have a really hard time when they're against baseball playoffs in October, uh, college football until um, basically end of December, right? Uh, NFL playoffs in in January. The NHL has a hard time in a lot of markets going up against that. And there, I've got a chart in my story that shows how much US, attendance in U.S. cities goes up uh, throughout the NHL season. All of the markets in the U.S. know this. You know, aside, I mean, like in Boston and Philadelphia and the Rangers, they sell out every game and they're not as concerned with this. A lot of markets, they don't sell out every game. And if you look at those cities, they're big, uh, they're, they're big, uh, football cities and, and football cannibalizes some of the market for, for hockey. And that doesn't have to just do with tickets. It has to do with ratings. It has to do going back to the TV deals, what us networks want to pay for hockey because they've got all this other content. So the U.S. networks don't want to pay a lot of money for October and November, December games. I mean, I don't think they even really show very many games in those months because there's so much other sports. There's so much competition for eyeballs that the ratings in the U.S. for a lot of those games are not very good, especially nationally. So is it good for the league? That's why I wrote the piece, because if the, the way the league looks at it is it's good for the league in the sense that they can they feel like they can make more money if the season starts later. But I don't think it's good for... I don't think it's necessarily going to make any more money in Canada and potentially it could make less. Probably fewer people are going to be watching the playoffs if they're on in July than the way it is now. I mean, you, you know, even now, like covering, you've covered the Stanley Cup final, like when it's June and you're going to a hockey rink and it, it our summer is so short in Ontario that um, you want to enjoy that. You don't necessarily want to focus on hockey in June, even when it's your job. No, it's very bizarre when you go to the rink and it's sunny and and even like watching it on TV, like it's it's when it's really nice outside, you're not kind of in the mode to watch a hockey game in July or even like late June, mid-June, early June. Um, I get it. Next question. This is a good question, actually. Lots of these are good questions. I shouldn't imply that. Um, if Nick Robertson is legit, do the Leafs trade one of the big four for D help and low cap players? It's, it's obviously too early to say that, um, we need to see Nick Robertson play. We need to see what he can do, but I do think like longer term after his entry level contract, 
expires, that then it becomes a question. But I don't think it really becomes a question until A, we know he's good and B, the end of his entry-level contract. Because when he's cheap, there's no reason not to keep those other guys. Yes. Yeah. I Well, and it could be that he comes in, like best case scenario, he comes in and he's a star and you're going to have to pay him after three years of his entry-level contract. And some of the contracts for your other big guys are going to be coming up for renewal and they're going to be very expensive to bring back. And they're also going to be older and not out of their primes, but they're going to be getting, they're going to be moving towards the end of their primes. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what the Leafs are going to need to have is have other options for players coming through, especially cheap that, players. Well, and that's why he's potentially such a, a big hit. What is Lots going on? Outs- what is going on outside of your house? This happens a lot. People think it's a really good idea to like hammer on their horns for a really long time. Hey, I live on a pretty major street where I live and I got little kids and like people on their horns and stuff at like nine o'clock at night when the kids are trying to sleep. It's, it's very frustrating. So don't live on a major street in a big city (laughs) if you have little kids. All right. Another Robertson question. Um, Do we think Robertson will end up playing in the playing round? I think we've made our thoughts on that pretty clear. Yes. Yeah. I mean, unless he bombs in training camp or something. I mean, there's so apparently there's going to be two exhibition games for every team. So I think you put him in a really prominent role and you play him lots of minutes in those games. And if he looks great, then away you go. You know, put him on your third or your fourth line. I mean, a fourth line minimum, right? You know, Sheldon Keefe's not the kind of coach that's going to be worried about, you know, having certain. The the question, I think, is who do you sit gets a little bit tricky. Well, I, I, in my story on Robertson, put it down to either Engvall or Goche initially. And then Mm -hmm. I think if Clifford doesn't work, he becomes part of the question. I think, honestly... Could be Engvall. I mean, if you want to have like a real center in that fourth line center spot, maybe you just stick with Goche. Obviously, Engvall has a more enticing game with his speed, with his potential to, to score and, well, and penalty and, kill. Yeah, I was going to say penalty kill. I mean, he, he was really, really effective on the penalty kill. So you'd have to think yeah. about if you if you can live without that or not. But uh, one, one conclusion I kind of came to in my story is I think Robertson's going to play everywhere. And, and what it really made me think, James, is the five-game series isn't going to allow for anything. Like, they're going to have to make decisions really quickly. If something doesn't work, if, say, they put Riley and CC back together and it doesn't work, or they put Riley and Barry together and it doesn't work, you don't have time to, like, mess around. And, like, Keith is – this is where having someone like Keith might be actually really beneficial is because he's not willing to kind of wait on things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you lose the first game, you're you're da- you're in trouble. It, it's all yeah. It's almost like yeah, your back is against the wall right away. You know, a best of five is it's going to feel a lot shorter than a best of seven. There's going to be very little room for error. So, you know, it's it's going to be a real test for the Leafs. They're going to have to be ready. You know, and they're going to be we we're, they're going to be playing a very good team, and they're there's they're going to be in a weird situation with no fans in the building, and you're in a hub city. Who knows where that is? And it's it's gonna be a test for a lot of teams to try and get focused and and elevate your game in 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 under those circumstances. I think that point has kind of been underplayed a little bit. How weird this all is gonna be for everyone, but especially the players. Like their whole routine is just gonna be 
jumbled. Like they're going to come to the rink. They're going to get tested. They're going to have all these weird procedures. They're going to be playing in empty arenas, like in a hub city. They're going to be living in a hotel for potentially months. Like it's going to be, I don't know. It'll be a challenge, I think, for a lot of players, rightfully so. Agreed. One last Robertson question. What are the chances he is a Andreas Janssen replacement? I, I think this means eventually. I think he makes it easier if he can play to to deal one of those forwards, obviously. Uh, they're, but it's I, I don't early. they're not gonna have a choice but to trade one of those guys. Like I you look at yeah. their cap situation and they're over the cap. So whether it's Nick Robertson that's the replacement or it's Barabanov or Engvall plays on the third line or they acquire someone as a free agent for that doesn't make a lot of money, somebody's going to have to serve as a replacement. Because, I mean, if you don't trade Janssen or Kapanen, who do you trade to free up a little bit of cap space to make make sure you're compliant? Who who else would, would go? There, there really aren't a lot of options. There's not a lot... There's not a lot of fat on this roster. There's not a lot yeah. of bad contracts. There's not a lot you can point to and say... I mean, Andreas Janssen might have, other than, you know, expiring deals like Cody Cece, Andreas Janssen might have the worst contract on the team and he makes $3.4 million, you know, and he scored 20 goals last year. So. Good point, James. Good point. All right. One more question. Which question would you prefer? Who is the best French toast recipe? Pancakes or waffles? <laughs> so it's funny someone asked that because... I was on my way upstairs to uh, to do the podcast, and at the bottom of the stairs, at the really bottom stair, there was a green pancake on the stair. This is wow. a, this is this is the kind of thing that happens in my house. And uh, so I come up, I close the baby gate, I start going up the stairs, and I say, "Does anyone want a green pancake?" There's one on the bottom of the stairs, and my daughter, who's two years old, runs up, grabs a green pancake, and starts shoving it in her mouth. So, <laughs> but I didn't make the green pancakes. My wife makes much better green pancakes than I do. You just add a little food coloring? Is that the... Yeah, I hope so. I hope there wasn't something wrong with it. <laughs> you never know, though. Maybe it was like it could be like an avocado pancake or something. I'm not really sure. I'll have to ask. I'll have to investigate. But uh, yeah, I'm not a big uh, French toast maker. Are you? No, not into French toast. Not into that. I'm not a Sorry. big sweet breakfast kind of thing. No, person. me neither. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. We're, we're boring with breakfast. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we go? I should mention that um, if you are listening and you want to promote your business, you can do so through our show. Um, all you have to do is go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads, and you can find out about ad- advertising on the Leaf Report or any of your other favorite podcasts. Go ahead, James. I was just going to say, I was curious on your perspective on changing the schedule and if you think it makes sense. Like, if it brings in a lot more business for the NHL, do you think that they should move the schedule? And and you follow the NBA a lot closer than I do. Is there a way that the NHL can get away from football, baseball, and the NBA by moving around their calendar a little bit? And the other thing that, that I should add to that is that the NBA might move its schedule later, and then that might allow the NHL to kind of get a little bit more flexibility. Well, that's a tough thing because there's lo- there's always been this idea that the NBA should start their season on Christmas Day because mm-hmm. that's that's one of their well, big I think days. They're, I think they're going to this year. Yeah, next and year. so I guess next year, sorry. The, the issue then, if they do that, 
the the appeal of of your what what your story suggests is if you could have it so your Stanley Cup final is not taking place at the same time as the NBA finals, like say the NBA finals is still in in June or late June and you're in July, you're like the only big thing happening. Like baseball is obviously happening, but basketball's in their off season. I guess there's some appeal in that. I just don't know how much of a difference that actually will make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm sure that the, it sounds like the league has all kinds of marketing gurus and people that have crunched the numbers on this and looked at this. I mean, you you hear it from a lot of people that work with some of the U.S. teams, you know, that I, I remember I did a story on Nashville years ago when I went down there for the first time. And it was talked about so much about how after football season ends, after the Titans are done, after the NFL uh, stops playing, how much a Predators attendance goes up. And so I went through and I crunched the numbers and I looked, I brought up a chart and it was like unbelievable how much attendance went up there in mid-February, March and April. Like it was completely different. Basically they were selling out. This was back when the Predators were in trouble in terms of there was talk of relocation and trying to sell them and everything. Their attendance was fantastic when the NFL wasn't going on and when college football wasn't going on. Now the Nashville's found a way to now where they sell out a lot and and that kind of football problem isn't isn't hurting them as much and i think having a good team for so long has helped them but there are a lot of other markets where they're still struggling Mm -hmm. against that you look at a team like columbus and their attendance really goes up as the year goes on even that's literally i just james it's funny you said that i literally just looked up i looked up columbus's schedule and just picked a game and like when what game is this this is October. No, I can't see the date. Anyway, it's like an early season game against Edmonton, and their attendance is like just over 14,000, 78% capacity. And obviously, they have the Buckeyes. Like they, they're not the the number one draw at that point in the year. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's and and like the people that make these decisions in large part are the board of governors, the owners of these teams. There are more owners in the U.S. than in Canada. There are more owners in struggling U.S. markets or less popular U.S. markets than all of the teams in Canada. They have a lot of say. And if what they're saying is they want schedule to be moved two weeks or four weeks or six weeks later, I could see it happening. I don't know what the right answer is. Because like you've ingrained this schedule in the fabric kind of of your league where July one is your free agency Canada day. And I'm sure NHL people like having the summer off. Anyway, James, we should uh, wrap it up. We will be back next. Actually, no, I don't know if we're going to be back next week. We'll see. Well, we'll figure, we'll figure something out. Hopefully, you know, some of the guests that we've been trying to get on, we can do a podcast with. I know that you're going to be taking off a little bit of time, which is, which is great. Um, before hockey potentially comes back in July. Um, but, you know, most importantly, we thank everybody for listening. Um, we appreciate the support. We appreciate all the people still reading and subscribing yeah. to The Athletic. And I hope everyone's staying safe. And um, like I said off the top, you know, justice for George Floyd. Well said. Thanks, James. We'll talk soon.